Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Sucking Podcast with Benji Nice. We're on top of our admin today. We're doing the Tour de France recap the day after, like the professionals that we are. This show is supported <laughs> by our show partner, LaCole, who produced Performance Cycling Apparel. We've loved seeing everyone that's picked up the kit throughout the Tour de France when you let us know. It's really good for us to see the feedback like that. And we're always, you know, love seeing it on Twitter or Instagram. They do have a discount code during the tour. I think it's active for maybe the next day or so. Uh, LaCole, LRTDF20 for 20% off. Uh, even if it's already discounted. But we've got a few things to get into. Uh, obviously, the Velo Games competition, uh, overall assessment of the race. Ineos, we're going to talk about the green and polka dot jersey competitions. And maybe we'll rate the Grand Tour as well and pick out a few moments. And maybe it's not on our list, but I want to put it in some teams we were disappointed in because, you know, I'm a pretty negative person. But Benji, Pagacha, um, maybe a little recap of the results. Pogaccio winning GC, five minutes ahead of Yona, seven minutes ahead of Carapaz. Um, I guess those time gaps for you defined also how the race was actually raced because, you know, you, I remember you saying, people were saying, oh, Froome, he didn't attack like this, but he never had a five-minute gap, right? So when you have a five-minute gap, you can just kind of do what you want. Yeah, I think it all started obviously in the early days where we had the loss of, many top-rated riders. We had the Roglic falling out in the first week. That's a, That has a big effect on how the race is ridden and sure. how Pogacar rides his race differently. He likely would have been more defensively if Roglic was still in the business because I wouldn't expect him to attack on Kolduholm, for example, already if Roglic was still in the race and still on like a minute in GC or within a minute of him or even closer, stuff like that. And I think that affects how he raced it. I think the initial time trial made a significant gap for Pogacar and it allowed him to kind of play with it and toy with the competition and go early on stages. And that going early is what allowed him to expand that gap significantly. Because if we look back towards the days of Froome, you had also three-minute gaps after like 10, 11 days in 2013, 2016 and so forth. But the point there is that he was also relatively great at time trialing he got second i think in 2013 or 2014 no 2015 2014 was the one that he stepped out of and um yeah before the at the first mountain stage he was already putting two minutes in the competition so yeah it certainly was still a dominant period i think it's just more feeling like dominance right now because Bogacar had the privilege and honor of being able to go very offensively without having to play defensively in the first week and that did close the Grand Tour a bit after a week, but I still think that um, the initial eight days were spectacular and it comes partially because all the madness that happened in the first days, I think. Yeah, and I've just been doing some like analytics looking at, you know, how how was the drop-off in audience interest and it, there was a drop-off because of GC tension is incredibly important to maintain interest throughout the race and, you know, the the best arbiter for GC tension or competitiveness is time gaps. 
So when you have a big time gap at rest day one, that's not going to bode well for the later stages, particularly when the sprinters are out. That being said, the drop-off wasn't as big as I thought. And then you also have the massive benefit of all the craziness of the first half was there was a lot of interest. I'm going to do a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. And just to what Benji said about stage eight. Stage eight, there was the huge gaps because everyone was wrecked. Why were they wrecked? Because stage seven was 250Ks raced like absolute madmen, full gas from the off. You think if Rollish doesn't crash, do Yumbo Visma get Wout in the break? If Yumbo Visma, if Wout's not in that break and he's protecting Primoz Roglic and it's just MVDP, do UAE chase like that all day? Then does Carapaz attack? Probably not at the end. Maybe they do. Maybe, maybe the GC guys would have just kind of did what they did last year and attack at the end. But so that everyone's then tired because of the way Roglic, you know, was struggling and because Wout went in the break because Yumbo Visma had to sort of shoot for, you know, throw a Hail Mary. And then that affects stage eight where. Pagacha's numbers, obviously crazy, you know, really good, uh, but everyone else underperformed as well. Not underperformed, it's just they didn't do power levels that they did in third week. Like Jonas was climbing better in the third week. And why was that? And maybe – so that's how the Rolich thing affected it in so many ways. Dave Browser did an article or an interview, I think, in The Guardian. Even he mentioned he's like, Rolich crashing out was bad for us because then UAE just – solely got to focus on our team and Carapaz and we needed Roglic to be that. I think Ineos' plan was to play off the Roglic-Bagacha tension and send Carapaz and then have maybe the two Slovenians look at each other. So it changed it a lot. Um, Was a shame for the race. But would you change the parkour, Benji? I mean, it's these huge gaps, but the parkour wasn't that hard. Would would you maybe have take out one of the mountaintop finishes in stage eight or nine or the heavy mountain stage and put it in week two? I mean, I don't think it's just the crashes changed it. Yeah, I think I think that it isn't necessarily the parkour design totally that did it. I think obviously the parkour design on that stage with all the crashes could have been better. We have hammered on that before during that race recap, but in general, I don't feel like the entire first week parkour was built to create huge gaps it didn't feel like that when looking at it obviously sure. with a time trial like that in the first week you will have gaps that's an obvious one but i didn't expect it so significantly that's for certain and i think you're right that parkour design might have affected that but only because the riders raced it like this and if the riders wrote it any differently then those gaps wouldn't have been there so i think in Eight out of ten ground tours ridden with a ground tour first week like this, I don't think you'll get these gaps because I think there were so many factors playing into it. It's not solely the crashes. The fact that Matthew Vanderpool is a factor in a ground tour is an insane factor that just pushes so many boundaries that the tour has not seen in ages. A rider that plays every stage like it's a bloody uh, one-off race. So that makes the race very interesting. And I think... Uh, it certainly made for a golden first eight days that might have slightly impacted the um, not-so-golden. Nine, nine days. Don't you dare cut out Benek on a stage win ever okay. on stage nah, nine. But, <laughs> no, but I think that eight would have been the perfect cutoff, personally. <laughs> well, yeah, I have my, my hot take, um, which is like the most heretical thing ever, is I think Grand Tours should be like 14 stages <laughs> or 12 stages. <laughs> I don't think there should be Depends three Depends on weeks. the situation. They should... Choose dynamically in the ground tour. <laughs> if the tension's gone, it's done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we 
I still thought after the TT and after stage seven, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, they could try the wild thing with Pogaccia, but yeah, it was over. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Pogaccia too much because, listen, um, us explaining to you that he's pretty good, I mean, it's pretty self-evident. I want to talk about Ineos Benji, second disappointing, uh, I would say, uh, Tour de France campaign for them in a row. Bernal was looking good last year. Don't forget he was looking good for two weeks, I thought, and then yeah. had the back issue. They then got the stage win on Rocha Ferrand with uh, Kvyatkovsky and Carapaz to sort of salvage a little bit. That's a bit more, you know, I would say that's a disappointment, not a disaster. Guy has a back issue. What are you going to do? Got a stage win. This yeah. year seems a bit more they straight up couldn't compete uh, and a little bit more concerning. And and I'll just remind before Benji gives his take, I'll just remind you of, you know, Ineos have won like half the World Tour stage races this year. But... At UAE Tour, Pagacha beat Yates. At Torino, Bernal and Thomas got slapped by Pagacha. And they've kind of, I'm not going to say they've done a soft schedule. There's no soft World Tour schedule, but they've definitely done a soft schedule. Well, they've not gone to the races <laughs> the Slovenians are at with their strongest guys. And when they have, they've been beaten handily. So no Basque. I don't even know who was at Basque as their leader. Torino, as I said, and Paranese. Wow, Paranese Roller. I think Adam Yates as well, but I'm not sure about it. Yeah. So. How do you do? You, is disaster too strong, Benji? Because seven minutes. I know Carapaz got third, but seven minutes is a huge margin. And frankly, he was never. No, none of their riders were ever competitive for actually realistically taking yellow for any day. Yeah, that's true. And I think we need to look at the first week as well. We've got crashes. I think Bort and Thomas each crashed about five to six times in this Grand Tour. Yeah. And that's the thing we knew beforehand. We we kind of knew that they were going to crash at some point. It's Thomas on board. It's harsh to say, but their bike handling is not up to standard compared to what Pogacar does. Pogacar does not crash often. I can't remember a day where Pogacar properly crashed where I saw it on TV. It's genuinely insane what the difference is in that. And that plays a huge factor because Ineos has to think and raise the Grand Tour knowing that their two leaders are very vulnerable to Bart's crashes. And the fact that Carapaz didn't crash, I think at least, to my memory, he didn't he crash. He either. Okay. And as a consequence, he was the rider that was left because the others basically crashed out at the top of a GC. But I don't think they would have been able to compete even without the crashes personally because I, I don't see them at the same level. We've seen them, as you said, ride lower level World Tour races. It's not shit level but it's it's definitely not against the slovenians and it's it felt like evading the slovenians but it probably was accidentally because yeah. you've got pogacar doing tour of slovenia and you've got the roglic just not riding for like two months yeah, before they, the tour they turned so. up to the dauphine like it's the preparation yeah, rest of the tour exactly and got up off to swiss so if if either of the slovenians actually raced one of those two races they would have actually had to come up against them and eventually it comes out where Karapaz being the lone leader afterwise uh, after it and that is the rider that, on paper, fitted the least to the parkour. Because you'd say, with the time trials and so forth, Thomas and Port fitted perfectly for this parkour if they were at the top of their game. And with those crashes, they were not at the top of their game. Without their crashes, I doubt they would have been at the level necessary to compete. But I think that Carapaz also was slightly under the level that I expected him to be. I, I hoped for more, and perhaps it's this huge vision of of the Vuelta last year, where we saw Vuelta, where Roglic was just coming out of the Tour de France and then led into the Vuelta, was already kind of tired from that Tour de France. Perhaps that gave us 
a fake view that Carapaz was on the same level as Roglic or just under the same level as, as the Roglic. I don't know. The TT, yep. I think we, everyone's like, okay, say Carapaz is a 3%, 5% better climber than Jonas Wingergaard. Well, on a 20-kilometer climb at 5% average gradient, not up to too much altitude, the draft is going to matter that amount. And so good luck getting that gap. We saw like when Carapaz attacked and then, you know, had to go over his, had to attack hard and then Jonas just clawed it back. Like say he's 5% better. Well, Jonas is 5% better in the TT. You get, I've said this a thousand times, you get all of that 5% in the GC improvement in terms of the time you get on the TT. So, yeah, it's like, whereas if you, Pagatch's climbing on stage eight was so much better, got the gap, and then everyone else was cool. I think I think they got a hard decision to make with Thomas in the uh, pretty soon, Benji. I mean, he's previous Tour de France winner, British rider, big social media pool, a lot of audience interest, but, He's getting a bit older, very crash prone. If I'm any else, I'd rather be signing Almeida for half of Thomas Price than uh, Thomas to take a tilt at the Tour de France next year, looking to the future. Um, I think Benji and I both are of the view that his sort of wasp a kilo on the climbs, never really going to be competitive with the Slovenians. And even Port, I think, often is a better climber than Thomas, particularly even this year. Uh, Port's the weird one to me, Benji. I mean, we've been, I've been critical of it, and then people say, hey, temper, your, temper what you're saying, he's been sick or whatever. And then my question is, why is he why, why is he in the race? Like, again, the same <laughs> with what we said about Case Bowl. Yeah. If a guy is sick and just hang on for dear life, what's the point in them being there? Like, he was getting dropped on Champs-Élysées yesterday, Benji, off the back. And same with Fulsang, just battling through with whatever, and then he DNS the last stage. It seems to me like... If a guy really can't help at all and he's a top guy who can win races, why don't you pull them early, get them to reset their expectations and uh, go to go to other races? But do you think, Benji, j- just quickly off the top of your head, what team would you take if, to the Tour next year? Assuming it's a take out 20 TTKs um, and maybe put in another high-altitude finish, what team would you take if you're Enios next year? Well, Bernal would be there. I think Carapaz deserves to be there as well. It, it kind of, it completely, it's so difficult to say. Like, yeah. it completely depends on the parkour and what it looks like. It depends on what kind of transfers they do at the end of the season. I don't think that Thomas would be on the leader list unless it has like 100k of kilometers for me personally. I do think that he can be a valuable asset for the team. He's a strong rider on climbs and he can be a good supportive rider. And if he is willing to do that, then I do think he can do well because to me, it feels like he's a perfect rider to pay someone on a climb. We've seen that before. But the question then is, we've seen so far the last two years that that strategy doesn't work against Pogacar. Jumbo tried it last year. Ineos started climbing with their train a few times this year, even though that wasn't at a extremely high level. So as a consequence, you, you start to question, is it a good idea to use a train? Is it a good idea to to go for such domestiques while you can try and have as many leaders as possible playing very offensively and hoping that that collapses the UAE force like it did at Itzulia, for example. But that's a very special case because in Itzulia, you had a situation where Bogacha was riding for McNulty in, in one of the stages. So I don't think you're going to see that in the Tour de France ever. That decision will likely not ever be made by UAE in a Grand Tour, even if McNulty accidentally is in the leader jersey by like four minutes. So in the end, I think that 
they've got a lot of philosophical questions to ask, uh, whether riders should be having leadership, whether Bernal should be going to the Tour de France again next year. I think on paper, yes, but I guess we'll see on the Volta as well what he has to offer. But um, so far this year, I, I still say that Bernal was the best GC rider and we've just done two Grand Tours with older great riders except Adam Yates on the start line. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was saying it, I was so convinced, Benji, after the yeah. UA Tour, I said, they're going to take Adam Yates to the Tour, they're going to take him, they have to take him, and, and they didn't take him, so I don't know what happened there. I guess he just, maybe he didn't want to share leadership, wants to go to the Vuelta, that's fine. I hope at the Vuelta we're going to see Pidcock, how he goes in Grand Tour for the first yeah. time. He's going Danny Martinez has pulled out of uh, Tokyo with COVID recovery issues, so, and Bernal's had COVID, so hopefully... You know, we we got to wait to see how those guys recover as well. Hopefully, they're they're back yeah. in in fine form. But we'll move on from Ineos uh, to some other topics now. Jonas, the other guy on the podium, uh, bullet in the top step. I think we've been following him. Well, for I, I haven't been following him for like three years. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I was like, okay, this guy's legit. Was his Angleru pool in the Vuelta for Roglic last year. Then UAE Tour, he won on Jabel Jais, really, really solid performance into a headwind. And then Basque Country, he was, uh, yeah, he just locked down Pagacha pretty much on that last stage. Uh, and then his TT has been outstanding there as well. Do you think he can replicate this, Benji? And do you think, do you think someone who's like a TT, really good at the TT, that's more rep- replicable than like Mark Pudum's occasional stratospheric climbing performances i think that this is more a consistent result so far uh, i think the first time i noticed his his strength was in bologna uh in 2019 of poland where he oh, had yeah. one a stage stage six and then on stage seven he completely collapsed and uh lost everything he had in gc ended up like 80 or so in a stage losing 15 minutes or something so probably one of the worst days of uh of his career at that point and that brought a lot of questions. Can he keep stuff up after he wins races? Is he good enough when it comes to recovery? And every time that he went to a bigger race, people were questioning whether he could keep up after a few days because of this Poland result. And I feel like it's a bit harsh to go back to this Poland result every time once you have that. He went to that Vuelta as a supportive riders. He was super strong for Roglic, arguably the second best climber in that race for the team as Kaz was inconsistent and I think Kreisbeck was not was he there? I don't know. Dumoulin pulled out I think at a certain point. My Vuelta memory is yeah, already like completely gone. <laughs> but um Fingergaard was extremely strong and I think he was even like held on the leash a few times because on that at one stage I'd go do one, he was the rider pulling in the Peloton and if he actually had to go full out, he would have got Godu and Roglic would have won that stage. Stuff like that. And I think that hit his strength a bit as well during that Vuelta. And we noticed the gradual growth this year as well. Winning at UAE wasn't strong enough for GC there, but wrote a great time trial. And then eventually, like you mentioned, Itzulia is the place to be. Like the way he wrote that was spectacular. And the moment that he wrote that, we were saying to each other, he's co-leader at the Tour de France if he goes to the Tour de France, because they can use him as aggressive co-leader if Roglic is in that race. And Turned out he ended up being the sole leader after Roglic crashed out. But um, the only doubts I had in preparation was perhaps the 
the Dauphiné because we didn't know what was happening the first time he lost so many minutes on one of the early stages. Yeah. Turns out it was a, a foot injury somewhere. It looks like that's completely fixed now because, yeah, obviously, if he has an Achilles injury now and got second <laughs> in the Tour, what can he do next year? But, yeah, he, he grew in the race. He started off very strong. I still don't know whether he actually crashed in that one stage or not where Roglic crashed because half of the people say he crashed. Half no, of no, people no, say no, he doesn't I don't, crash. I don't think he, he, he didn't like crash, but he, yeah. Roglic crashes in front of him. All the younger guys are caught up. He's kind of like, like Thomas crashed the other day where yeah. you just like have to put your foot down and your heart yeah. fall over. But then by then he's got to do whatever with the bike. He was held up at yeah. least uh, from what I could see. So he I lost do think, 1 minute 20 there. Did he? <laughs> yeah. From what I can see, uh, he's Roglic is definitely getting towards the Port Thomas camp where you need to factor in this guy is probably going to – he's likely to crash during this Grand Tour. It's something that shouldn't be a surprise to you. Like it's just – it happens so much. Vuelta when Movistar paced, I still don't know what happened there when Tony Martin went down in front of him. He, you know, Paris-Nice crashed twice. Jonas crashed a lot this Tour de France as well. Now, not all of his fault – yeah, but no then not all were his fault, but also some are like, they're not your fault, but other riders wouldn't crash there is, is something you've got to assess as well. Whereas like Pagacha, we praise because it's like people do crazy things in front of him. Somehow he doesn't crash. And I yeah, don't and think, it's, yeah, go on. I think it's it's part of the strategies of those riders. We saw that Pogacar in the third week was actively avoiding the wheels of Thomas and so forth and descends and riding odd lines to get around them and so forth in corners. So he actively was choosing not to follow their wheels just in case they crash to not crash as well. And we see Yumbo then every single stage, uh, an Ineos rider crashed in front of them and one of their riders go all over it. Jonas was following Port in like week three, like at the back of the pedal zone when he's moving up the bunch on on the side of the road. He's still following him when they went back to get bid-ons. I was like, stop, (laughs) please. (laughs) (laughs) Jonas, don't do it. Anyway, Jonas I think is legit now whether he – he needs like a TT heavy parkour. I think he's – I still don't think, you know, would I have him as like a, a Grand Tour favorite. It really depends on the parkour and who's turning up. I think he's yeah. not shown – You got to. I, I do think he's got to show a little bit more consistency for you to be like, this guy is a premium A-grade Grand Tour contender, guaranteed. Yeah, but he's an outsider now. Yeah, for sure. And if he attacks every – GC contender will respect that and have to close it, which actually makes life harder for him. Uh, rather you think than being, so? Do you well, think that he's considered O'Connor, at that level by the competition already? If Giannis attacks in a Grand Tour, people will close it down. Okay. Yeah, they'd be, if they don't, I'll laugh at them. Um, and if Roglic is still in the team, would they be sitting on the Roglic's wheel or would they still follow Vingegaard's attack? Well, that's exactly right. Like It gives a good tactical advantage to Jumbo Visma. Um, I think they'd have to close it down. I don't think you can treat him like Ben O'Connor, Frank, like like uh, Education First and Code How Week. dare you? <laughs> I'm just saying. The um, Quokka's sad now. <laughs> yeah, the Quokka. <laughs> All right, Green. The points competition, because it was so flat, sprint heavy, was favored towards the best pure sprinter, Benji. I think, I know, I also like this. I, I don't like the Vuelta points competition. I like the best sprinter having a realistic chance of getting it. I do like... The Bennett Sagan battle last year, I thought was outstanding. Um, maybe it was a little bit favoured towards the sprinters here. I think the difference is Juan van Aert could have won green, so a, a ruler, a, a more or rounder could have won it because Juan van Aert, if he's in good form week one, takes some points on stages one and two, or Sagan does. So I think 
I still think it was pretty good the way it was set up. I agree. I think that it just looked like it wasn't well set up in week two because we thought Cavendish has us easily. But in week three, we ended up saying, okay, it's actually much closer than we thought. Mm. This could actually still turn around. And that's what played in, into it nicely. And what shows me that we were just looking at it wrongly in the second week or not attentively looking at, oh, where could matches still earn points and so forth in week three. It looks like it's roughly in Cavendish's camp and probably he's going to keep it. Like, we were pretty sure they was going to keep it. We like <laughs> we put our hand in the fire and set Cavendish in green on Paris. So I think at that point, we were very trusting and confident in that and it became closer than we expected it to be. And Cavendish still had to fight for it for uh, for every single intermediate sprint in the third week, which made it fun. Do I think that it should go to the best sprinter and not to the person that like goes into attacks and a rider like Matthews? Yes, I um I find it odd that a green jersey is given to a rider that can barely sprint the top five in a Grand Tour personally. And therefore, I love it that the best sprinter is able to win the green jersey every single time. I'd love to, it to be that way. But I like it that it's close enough so that it's interesting. I agree. I mean, Matthews in the bunch sprints, I think, got a... His best was a fourth and a seventh. He got points on a fifth, no, sorry, fourth, ninth, fifth, and then seventh. I think the third was in the Colbrelli uh, stage 16, and the second was the punchy finish at the start. That's where he picked up a lot of points because there was 50 points available at that finish. What makes it interesting for me is that, for example, on Champs-Élysées, you have Mezgetz leading out Matthews and Mezgetz finishing ahead of Matthews because... You know that those types of teams, they have to choose between their sprinters based on the green jersey classification. If you have two strong sprinters and you know that one is a bit better to get over hills, then you're going to choose the one that gets better over hills every sprint because you know that he's going to lean more towards the green jersey. I think that's why Alpecin chose Philipson over Merlier in week yeah. one. They chose the green jersey over stage wins with Merlier. And I find that a personal mistake because, well... I believe that if you're more likely to win the stage, it's probably more valued than an attempt at trying to get a green jersey that is not sure about because there's still plenty of sprints to come and you're not showing to be the best sprinter in the peloton. So that's what makes these choices interesting and that plays into the role of how an Alpecin approaches their sprints. And I think that's a factor that is often overlooked, but interesting to look into and yeah, Merlier and, and Phillips and a fun story to look at and how they chose, why they chose and so forth. And that plays into that green jersey competition. But my point still stands. I find uh, sprinters more fun if they win the green jersey. I think there's too many points for... Yeah, I, I like that it's still a points competition. I would still have intermediate sprints, more of them after climbs during the stages. But no. I also think the drop-off isn't severe enough in the pure bunch sprints. If you're coming fifth and sixth, I, I don't think you should be getting that many points. The winner really should get rewarded, uh, in my yeah. view. Uh, but that's sort of stuff around the edges. The polka dot competition, I I think there's been a lot of talk about how Pagatcha just fell backwards into it. I, I kind of disagree. We noticed that like they were chasing Walt down on stage 16, even Walt Poles or some other polka dot contenders. They were kind of closing down when they were trying to get into breaks. I don't think UAE were oblivious to uh, the polka dot competition. Yeah. And I also, they had the polka dot bike ready on the car, I think, on like stage yeah, 18. Yeah, like, it, it is something that was overlooked by many, but I think we mentioned it on one of the podcasts that 
there was a certain KOM in one of the third week stages where Pogacar went ahead of his teammate just before the KOM sprint to get one point more and then moved back behind his teammate just after the KOM sprint. I don't remember which climb, but I saw it happening. And at that moment, I knew he was thinking about it. And those small things are are things that show that he doesn't win it accidentally. But that bothers the question now. Is it is it good that a classification can be won by a GC rider like that in the third week, knowing that the entire Grand Tour, you have other people fighting for it every KOM sprint? Should it be a classification for the best climber in the race, GC-wise, or for attacking climbers like a pools and so forth? They just shouldn't have double points. If they take away yeah. the double points on the mountaintop finishes, problem solved, and then it's closer between Pagacha and whoever was fighting. So the double points are the problem. Like, But that's almost... Because the thing is, you can say, okay, there's double points there. I want to target that stage. But if your world polls and the GC group decide to go for that stage, you're done. Like, yeah. there's nothing you can do strategically. You can try and get in the break. But, yeah, that's the problem with those double points. And ultimately, Pikachu is going for the stage win first and foremost. And he's like, thanks for the double points. I'll take poker. So that's that's how I would change it. Yeah, I think so as well. I think it, it would be close without the double points. I do think that one with double points would be nice, but that would mainly be a a mythical climb. Just for example, in the Vontue stage, there were double points, I think, on the Vontue or like at least high points on the Vontue. And as a consequence, that felt great. That was like one of those mythical climbs for a stage that was more likely to go for the breakaway anyway, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when it's at the top of a climb... It would be nicer if it's the second last climb in a stage. So, for example, on the Tourmalet stage, Luzadiden, if it was on the Tourmalet, except for Luzadiden, that would have made that race much more differently for the polka dots. And perhaps we would have seen even more aggressiveness from a UAE and so forth, even trying to already like get more points on on that climb, you know. I got let's go into a, some, a spicier topic, Benji. Worst performances at the tour. I got the list of prize monies that I think uh, La Flamme Rouge has totted up here. Um, prize money at the 2021 Tour de France, UAE first, then Yumbo, Bahrain, De Koenig, uh, one, two, three, four. The worst though, DSM, 13,500 euro. Uh, the second, and then Quebec were 11,000. They're the bottom two teams. Now, Lotto Sudal. Everything hinged on Caleb Ewan. He crashed out. They also couldn't pick up a breakaway win. De Kent was a bit off. Uh, Van Muller and Sweeney tried. They weren't great. So I think DSM, they didn't have a good tour, Benji. I mean, we've already said it a lot, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. We've seen the rumours, which you might touch on as more comes out about Van Wilder, Lechnersund, et cetera, uh, later. But, yeah, just what what could DSM have done differently? Do you, Did they even... Did they put too many eggs in the case ball basket? Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah, we, we mentioned it on stage 21, Gaspar Spedersen being pulled back from a breakaway where they know that Kisball has not performed very well throughout the Grand Tour. Got like, I think one top five or not even, I'm not sure about it, like from the top of my head, but didn't have too many top tens. And he got late positions in stages where they were prepping a sprint for him. And it seems like, it's not only case ball that is lacking in the sprint department, it's also the team that has its preparation for the sprints that just don't always fit. It feels like they can't adapt to the stage finish or the situation at hand in the last few kilometers. We see that 
He's brought to the front too early. We see that the entire team is already at the front at 5K to go and at 13K to go sometimes. And like when you see that, you know that they're spending unnecessary riders and perhaps it would be better if they have a more oiled up system that they have that, yeah, is just more adaptive towards the end of a stage. Like the strength of a Merc is that he can adapt to the situation on going in the last kilometer. And he does that 90% of the time. But I don't think that they have that. And as a consequence, it's harder to get a victory then because Kizbol is not really often in a, in a position where he can compete. I think my suggestion would be just to free Niels Ekhoff. I don't know what's happening with Niels Ekhoff. I mean, he DNF, DNF right in a Coxeter Classic, E3, DNF to Arsdor, DNF Tour of Flanders, 81st Kent Vadelheim, 43rd Kerner, didn't do Omloop, and then he's leading out Case Bowl, under-23 former world champion, and he's 23 years old. I don't know what's going on. And he did some good lead-outs for Case Bowl, who then lost his wheels. So, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's uh, Definitely watch this space with them. But they did have Sutherland crash out, Karandas and Al Tishmanud out, so they did have some other riders out. Um, other team, Israel Startup Nation, they brought Froome. i got to say, Benji, he got less exposure than I thought. No one really cared. Like, I didn't really see – there wasn't really the cameras on him all the time. I think – Yeah, I was, get why. Like, yeah, I don't care. Sorry, like, sorry, Froome, but I love your comeback. I love that you're able to come from a, a place where many can't come from. I love that from that point onwards you can build forward and you can – hope to reach a certain competitive point. I love that you finished the Grand Tour, but you weren't influential on my viewing of the Tour de France. I enjoyed your, like, I don't know, your interviews and so forth and your viewpoint on the race, but you weren't a factor. And then you're starting to question, yeah, was it actually performance-driven a selection? I don't think so. So no, as no, a consequence, not. it's marketing-driven and but for there wasn't me, it the deliver that. And I think if you uh, if you're the guy that's paying for it, you're thinking to yourself, "Well, okay, that's a that's a bummer." Like he I got prize though; he was the friendliest person in the Tour de yeah, France. Yeah, that's the worst prize to receive. I think. I think it's. <laughs> yeah. it's. I think it's showing that the Tour de France is bigger than anyone, and that you, no matter even if you are a former winner, yes, you will get camera time, etc. You know, and some more interview options, but cameras won't be on you all day. Uh, it's even Yo, Martin, go do dropping, got more time. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah, but that's a that's probably a host broadcaster thing. I would say, I don't know what Dan Martin, why he did the Tour de France. Like, I have no idea. He was clearly, I don't know if he was, he didn't like the cold maybe in the, the, the Alps, and then he was good in Andorra, good on Luzada Den, fifth out of that GC group, dropping GC contenders. He was waiting he's, for the gravel snatch. <laughs> he's on 57 race days at the you know, mid July, I look. I've been looking because I'm a degenerate. Looking at the Welter Parkour, I'm like, how? Why did they send him to the tour? He didn't it's, do the Ard- so he didn't stupid. do the Ardennes this year. Yeah, for example, uh, I think stage st- Daman easy stage within a mountaintop finish, like top top class, even still, like the state Sega de Arlo or whatever. Uh, stage three, pick on Blanco. That's that parkour. Stage three, he's still a top puncher. Three Ks, nine percent. Or stage six on the welter, he's going to be a contender. So, what? Yeah, why do you think welter suits him more? It just 
it's just his rider type. He's a mountain <laughs> rider that can climb very well, and he's got a punch at the end. And his time trial is not that great. So you're looking for a Grand Tour that has the least amount of time trial kilometers. Tour de France has a lot of them. Chiro had a lot of them. Vuelta still has a decent amount, but it's usually not on the level of the Tour and the Vuelta. Uh, Tour and the Giro, sorry. And the parkour just basically fit him to the bone because you've yeah. got those steep sections at the end of the cl- uh, stages. There's a lot of hill stages this year. I feel like there is a very limited amount of like top mountain finishes. I recall Gamonitero. I haven't looked at the Grand Tour like every single second, so I don't remember everything by heart. But I know that there's finishes that fit him, and it's just he's just the Dan Martin is a is a Vuelta rider. Like he likes the, the same he, he doesn't like I the want cold. Michael Woods to ride the Vuelta as well. Like yes, those two riders are made for it, and the fact that they send him to a Grand Tour where they can't ride GC with Michael Woods planning to go for GC until like, what was it, day one where he lost time already, obviously due to a, due to a crash, but still like, it's, it's, it's a bad idea. It's like the planning at Israel Startup Nation is just badly made, honestly. And I'm, I dare to say that because we could do it better. Well, no, it's obvious. Look, stage, the stage Dan Martin won this is like not this is what like eight months ago he beat Roglic and Carapaz in a punchy finish stage three of the Vuelta to La, La, La Laguna Negra de Vinueza stage three six and a half gave 6.7 percent he beat them by bike length Dan Martin and Mike Woods also incredible on that sort of finish he won a stage in the Vuelta last year I think they're guys who don't like wet conditions wet descents I think they like the more yeah they like the heat I mean i I empathise with that a lot. And so, yeah, Abby, he didn't do the Ardennes and now he's not doing the Grand Tour that probably suits him the most. And, yeah, it's just interesting to me how people choose. I guess they want to send the biggest names to the biggest race, Benji, but what's the point of that if they're largely not seen and anonymous for three weeks? Like, I get gripe, right? Because I think it's actually reasonable to think in this sprint field that gripe could have got a top three in a sprint if anything if everything came together it didn't happen but it's also his last tour and you just send Zabo with him so yeah but well, I do dislike that idea I do dislike the idea of having your young riders ride for the old riders like it's harsh to call them old but towards the end of their career that's what I mean with that I don't mean it harshly and I feel like I want to see it the other way around. I want to see the experienced riders give back to the people that are younger and hope to bring them forward. And that's what I want to see in the end of a career of a rider. And I feel like they're taking it on the opposite way. I want the experienced riders in a team to build the youth so that the future is upheld. Right now, they're doing the opposite, which means that they're basically cutting off at a certain point. The second that they retire, you're going to have youth riders that did not have too much learning process from those experienced riders because they never in race gave them the opportunity to show them how how to race it like that and like our example is the lead out for Greipel we said it a few times we saw them sprinting next to each other in a video Greipel was still the fastest of the two but the other rider doesn't get the opportunities and so forth so because they're signing they're going to sign Bennett mate that's why so <laughs> that's why <laughs> I think right. do <laughs> okay. uh, other teams who I thought had a very disappointing Tour de France were Groupama FTG you say you're going to change for Demar and then have him OTL now I don't know if he was sick or had crashed but I mean come on he man. crashed once Kamenish is making the time cut you, you've been having uninterrupted training or racing 
much better than Cavendish. It's all on you. Make the time cut, or uh, like that's just I don't know what's happening there. If if someone like Cavendish wasn't making the time cut, I wouldn't. I'd be like, okay, maybe it's just it was crazy hard or whatever. But Cav was making these time cuts pretty comfortably, so that's yeah, just. Demar, I guess. Remember, we he was up there in the top three sprinters in the world after the Giro. It seems like he's gone back to being a flat track bully this year. You know, cleaning up Bougla de la Mayenne and Rudoxitani <laughs> sprints, and then Tour de France. Yeah, at the big dance, he it didn't work out. But yeah, I think FTJ not a great tour. I think Godu. He seemed, I don't know, he was going for stages, not always the right stages. He then had fantastic legs third week. Stefan Kung did pretty well. I think he's a bright spot. He just can't win those TTs. Uh, I'm trying to pick up another team. As deserves to turn, I think. Oh, I, I find FDJ have a pretty reasonable budget, whereas Quebec, I find it hard to be too harsh. That's why I'm harsher on Ineos, for example. But yeah, Quebec, oh, but yeah I so, still dare to be harsh on their team because. Their team choice, the riders that they sent to this Grand Tour, it's it's not a good team. Like there are riders in there that could actually race properly and could get achievements. But when I saw this team at the start of the Tour de France, I was okay. They're not going to compete for too much. Like I don't see a stage where one of their riders can actually do something, unless Simon Clark at the level where he was like two years ago. But he had a broken back and was still riding, and then he said. Why would I leave? Well, because you have a broken back, mate. Like, isn't that obvious? <laughs> so I feel like I was hoping for slightly more from Michael Goggle and Breakaways, but he also crashed. Max Walshide was the most notable rider in that team. And for the rest, I think Hinao, we saw crash multiple times in the third week. But yeah, I didn't it's, see this team. Like, it's a very simple answer. Yeah. Nitsolo finishes the Giro. He finishes early, by the way. Finishes uh leaves at the before stage 15 skip the balois of belgium tour he's your best rider he's your best chance yeah. of getting top threes in stages he has to do the tour it's got yeah, eight exactly. sprint stages and imagine if nitsolo was here benji he's better than philipson in my view so yeah i think that's the the clear obvious answer that your your whole plans have to be sending nitsolo to the tour yeah and uh, they didn't do that. So that's why maybe it is right to criticize them. As you Citroen, I think, had a horrendous team performance. Um, they sent a stage hunting team. Ben O'Connor got the stage win on stage nine and then took all those minutes, then defended pretty much himself. Other than that, they have one top 20 stage result, Padipantra seventh in a break. Van Avrma, Cher, Oliver Narsen, Godon, I don't think any of them got top 20 in a stage. So, again, maybe there I was missing something and they were helping uh, O'Connor, which we didn't really see. I mean, he didn't really need much help. He just sits in the sits in the train. Yeah, and the weird thing is it's not like they can't achieve it because you've got Oliver Narsen coming in with Uran on, on one of the last mountain stages as well. Obviously, Uran collapsed, but it was not at... He's not sitting he up. Was still, he was still coming in with Lopez and Uran, so... It's still a decent level of climbing on, I think it was stage, I think the day before, actually. I'm not sure. Ardiden, you're right. You're right. It was on Ardiden. And like Nons Peters, we expected more from him because he has been better in the past. Orléans Parepantre, he was my guy for a top 10 in a Grand Tour. And that was mainly because I hoped he would go to the Giro. (laughs) But um, he went to the Tour de France and 
I would not have went for GC for him for a top 20. I would have let him take time and actually go for stages because, like, I feel like if you're young like that... But he did do that. got he, the opportunity... Well, he, he did it once. He just wasn't good enough. Like, he's always way back. He's 40 minutes back. He just, he just wasn't good enough. Um, I expected more, and Van Avermaet was not on the level of the past. We have Mikel Scher, where he's experienced. He's probably a road captain, so I do believe he's valuable to the team. Dorian Godon was in one of the breakaways. Uh, with Perez, I think, was yes. really strong. So if if the dice rolls right on a stage, he could have had a stage win at a certain point. If it's like, but but he has to be more lucky, and the competition was just better than him in total. So. Kaznafar was disappointing. Quite simple as that. He was not on the level that we <laughs> hoped for, and I don't know what to expect from this guy. I, if like, he doesn't, if he doesn't come top two in the first two stages, pull him. He he can't climb. He's a punch. He's a pure puncher. Again, a guy. Look up stage six of the Vuelta. Maybe yeah. it's a little bit hard for him, but the Vuelta suits this guy a lot. Yeah, and, and then then you've got him like suddenly out of nowhere coming top thirty on Tinia. Uh, yeah, well. Uh, that's a weird stage, though. That's still, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he's still ten minutes back, um, but yeah, it's point. Like I know he's French rider, probably their, is he their best French rider? Um, but yeah, he can't get anything from the tour, and it's I'm not sure he's able to help O'Connor much. So I didn't really expect anything from him after stages one and two because it doesn't suit him. He's a, you know he's better at the Britannia Classic stuff. But yeah, I think a disappointing tour for them that's masked by the uh, O'Connor stuff. I think the contrast is EF, who, yes, they didn't win a stage, but they tried. They tried a lot. They tried to get Valga and Aguita in breaks. They tried with, you know, Bissiga had the TT performances. Jonas Rutsch was trying for better or worse. They, they were trying and they didn't sacrifice those attempts for Uran's GC, whereas yeah. Bora did exactly the same strategy, but the guys were good enough, Conrad and Pollard, to win the stages and also the showing polka dots. Uh, I think Movistar, I mean, yeah, it goes without saying, I don't think, I don't really like their, their, their TDF, to be honest. Yeah, I think so as well. Like, they were not performing at the level we expected with Lopez. Like, it started off with one of the crashes at the first few days where Lopez didn't crash, but he was at the back of the peloton going into a crash and the entire Movistar team with Mars was at the front of the peloton. So his positioning going into that very dangerous section was not ideal and wasn't because there was something happening. The crash hadn't happened yet. So he should have been more at the front, quite simple as that. And he wasn't. And as a consequence, he loses minutes on that stage. And then eventually his climbing wasn't on the level as expected either. And then you start to question, well, shouldn't they just pull him out and go to the the Vuelta as well, because this is not the Lopez the world needs to see. And yeah, I, I already thought like going into this race where that Lopez would have fit way more at the Giro, parkour-wise. We know his time trial is pretty uh, inconsistent, to say the least. And it's dangerous to put him in a Grand Tour like this, even though he's climbing like a maniac before the Grand Tour in the Mont Ventoux Denivelier Challenge. But um, team-wise, yes, I think he was they, sick. Before, I think yeah. he was sick earlier in the year, so he like he was coming back. I think that's why. So they they try and put Valverde and Arviti in a breakaway. I think they should have had more breakaway opportunities for those riders. You have a stage where Valverde goes in the breakaway stage, I think eight, and then he pulls back because it starts to rain, and then you, yeah. <laughs> yeah I love it. It's such a meme. Weather is is existent. Uh, otherwise, I think, you know, it was sounding quite negative and critical. Intermarche, I think, did a good job. I don't yeah. know, people are like, what do you mean Intermarche did a good job? Well, 
Louis Mankies, their goal was to get a top 15 on GC or top 10, and he tried to do that. But he, he also tried to get in breaks, and he just wasn't good enough to, to win. So, but he was in breaks again with um, Lorenzo Rossa and Bacalans got in breaks, and they're active. I thought, you know, they're trying something, and, and they're not suicide breaks either. They're real breakaways. Uh, they tried to do the sprints with Van Poppel. It's just not good enough. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just a problem with quality of their team. Uh, there's not much else they can do, I don't think. B&B Hotels, I think the super combativity is a – like that's a genuine goal yep. for a team like that, and they won that yep. with Baltimore. That's a good result. And Cockard, he crashed out. Like Cockard could have been coming regularly top five in these – oh, he's outside the time limit. Yeah, he, he did crash out. So they got unlucky as well with their best rider crashing out. So I think they, they did the best they could. Yeah, I think that you indeed mentioned Yarra being critical, but – it's also respective in the results. We see that four of the teams have 15 victories. UAE, De Koenig, Bahrain, and uh, what's the other one? Yumbo. I think five for De Koenig. We have four for Yumbo and three for Bahrain and UAE each. So this was dominated by four teams and it leaves just scrums and, and just scraps for the people that that are left over. And it doesn't allow too many teams to take the pleasure of getting a stage win here or there or even competing for stage wins because the race just is played like that. And yeah, it, it makes it clear that the big teams are the big teams. And are they though? Not, like budget-wise, like budget I think it's more equal than we think. Like I think Benji FDJ have a have a solid budget. Like I think Yumbo have a smaller budget than people expect. Israel have a surely have pumped up a lot of like their budget with their, those writers. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, but Israel spends them, like, we've said it, like, they spend their budget very unwisely. Let's bring it all. They've got three for five million. Stop talking about the budget of Israel. <laughs> I think, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on now to... Uh, let us know who you think were the winners and losers. Uh, I'm going to probably do a video on best domestiques of the Tour de France. I've got a few I'd like to talk about. Maybe. Okay, no, sorry. no, no. It was Julian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Julian, Bernard, Julian Bernard was better than Tim Leclerc. I, I disagree. Um, I think they're both great in their own way, but I think Tim Leclerc is more important for the team. Murasa did more work than Tim Leclerc, didn't he? Get On fucked. <laughs> <laughs> He's Belgian as well. Why are you even there? Well, Dillier did. Um, all right, we'll get on uh, last things. Um, yeah, we want to hear your rating on this on the Tour de France. Let us know. Uh, you can tweet at us with uh, hashtag LRCP or let us know in the comments on YouTube. Let us know what your favorite stages were. That's my last question to you, Benji, before we go and get into the Velo wait, Games. Wait, wait, Yeah. Okay. You didn't forget the Velo Games. I didn't Good. forget. My last question before the Velo <laughs> Games. Who, what was your favorite stage that, was, that you will remember? Hmm, I think stage seven. I don't know why, because it opened up so early. It was just straight up fire for the entire 250 kilometers and it was tactical and that plays a role in my enjoyment of the race right now because we do analyze the tactics and so forth and i love stage seven quite simple as that uh mine's stage two uh the van der Poel britannia win i think that's it's iconic the way he did it taking mm-hmm. time on the first ascent with the bonus seconds the way he, the story with his grandfather then attacking the gc group on a stage i thought was too hard for him Compared, not too hard for him, but I thought Alaphilippe had the advantage, and he he smoked them on the Britannia the second time, uh, or he did it twice. So that's going to stand out in my memory forever. Stage two, and I don't think there were any crashes 
as well. So it was a nice respite and takes yellow. So yeah, that was that was crazy that stage. Um, but it didn't even yeah, it was kind of masked by the stage one stuff beforehand. Last order of business and the most important, the Velo Games League, the Lantern Rouge Sucking Podcast League. We had some absolutely outstanding teams. Reminder that if you come first in this league, same with the Giro, same is going to be for the Welter. You receive a full Lacole kit. I think of your choice this time and then second and third get a jersey each. Benji's got the teams out. I'm scared to look at my team. Yes, indeed. We've got a top three of the following people. You had the team Alfie's All-Stars by Michael Rorty. Didn't even use a, he didn't even use a, a fake name or a meme name. Like, what is this? Ah, that's that's good. That, that's because he he has so much confidence in his team that he dares to use his real name for it. So not not many people call not themselves like, like I don't know the the Malia Azura or the Lantern Rouge on the internet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, the second team was Cycling Weekly, but Weekly as in week. As in that doesn't that doesn't explain the meaning of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not strong. Yeah. Um by um Fatty Grand de Boucle, he was second. <laughs> and the third one was Bad by Jolan by Jolan. And um yeah, that was the third person. But more interesting, who was in the first person's team? He's got the entire top four. <laughs> He's <Like>, crazy. Pogachar, <laughs> O'Connor, Vingago, and also what's the other Ka- guy? Carapas. And like also heavy hitters next to that, Cobrelli, Cataneo, Alaphilippe, and then the weaker ones in the team, Freyla and Kung. Freyla didn't even Kung perform. Kung get more points than I expected him to have. Yeah, and that's with Freyla. This this guy, he won both our league and the overall Velo Games League. Um, so yeah, <laughs> crazy how good that team was. Um, my team, 20 teens, nostalgia, director sportif, Eusebio, Sutton, absolute dog shit. I had Roglic, Port, Woods, um, so they weren't good. Van Art was pretty solid, I gotta say. Quentin Pacher, I thought was gonna do the, the Frank Bonnemore style race, but Frank Bonnemore did that on BNB, not Pacher. Uran was okay, and yeah, Igita didn't pick up a stage and Court didn't either. So yeah, Rollish and Port um kind of kind of stuffed me. What about your team? Did you beat yeah, you beat me. Yeah. I beat you. I really did. <laughs> my wife beat me. She, my wife came. Don't, don't say that to the police. <laughs> she, in the Giro and the Tour de France, she's beaten me in Vela Games. It's so bad. I was like, why don't you just do the recap podcast? Stay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like my team, obviously we had Adam Buru's minions in the Giro and now I had to like worm my way into a different name. So Hauser's Hamsters was uh, the team that I went with and Went at 4,400 of the 26 games. So pretty good result. I'm happy about it. And I think that when it comes to the team, Cosnify is the biggest disappointment. It is just bad as well. I think I could have gotten better four-point riders. Aramburu doing decent, but not great. Korten and Higita, decent, but not great. I was carried by Pogacar and Roglic crashed out and Van Aert did very well as well. So I think Poggi and Van Aert are the ones that saved my ass because the other ones didn't really perform up to the standards that I expected them to do. Higita, I'm still pretty happy about that lad, to be honest. But all in all, decent team performance. And as long as we beat LR, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so Talking now- about beating you. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> second Tour de France win by Pogacar. Second time prediction via... <laughs> Uh, me here. Oh, yeah. How is your uh, TDF picks going? Well, I picked Roglic, so he didn't. He didn't even finish. So, 
is okay. the worst pick possible. I think where do I have? What are we now in Grand Tours? We didn't. I don't remember. I, like, I don't know because like did I we do the Giro last year? Uh, we did do the Giro last year, but we bottled it because obviously we didn't have Hindley and Gagan Hart. Let's be real about that. At the I'm, Vuelta, I'm we went. Hindley. At the Vuelta, <laughs> you don't even want to know what we picked at the Vuelta. You went for Tom Dumoulin, and I went for Danny Martinez. <laughs> no way, I picked Tom Dumoulin. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> Looking back, I just I listened to it yesterday. No shot. <laughs> I had Poggy for the Tour of France last year. I think you had Rogla. And, and I decided to come back year. for this year after saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. He pulled out after four days well, saying you didn't, he didn't feel Bernal, like right? it. <laughs> <laughs> I had Danny Martinez. He crashed twice in the first days. <laughs> Man, that's yeah, was worth Brandon Rivera. Karen Worth. <laughs> Benji picked Karen Worth for the Welter. All right, but then I saved it, I guess, with the um, Bernal for the Giro, and you yeah. picked you picked Evenepoel's domestique, so that didn't work out <laughs> too good. Welter's the tiebreaker, I think. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll make it the tiebreaker, okay? Even though it's two one, but <laughs> how's it two one? I had the tour last year as well. Or do you mean just this year? It's tiebreaker. True. Jesus, my math is bad as well. I've lost the plot. <laughs> Maybe the, the Olympic road race counts as well. I'm putting that in because it's the most important race because you, you can only do it once every four years. But anyway, that's the housekeeping I wanted to get to. We have obviously uh, – what do we have coming up this week, Eliza? <laughs> On the podcast. You should have said producer. Oh, <laughs> so we've got Olympics road race preview and – time trial preview dropping on Wednesday and then we'll have the recaps of that on Saturday or Sunday when that's on. Uh, so we're keen to see that and then we might have some transfer rumours. Uh, they're already mulling about, already sort of teased the uh, DSM stuff. So if there's any more transfer news, we'll definitely hit that during this week to keep you going. But yeah, we hope we really hope you enjoyed the podcast throughout the Tour de France. It's a bit of a grind. It's a shame I decided to fall over to get the full GC experience halfway through, but we, we battled through. Thanks, Big thanks to Benji, uh, who goes back to work today for, you know, all his commitment to the podcast during the tour as well. If you've enjoyed it, um, you can check out our sponsor, Cole, as well through the link below. You can also directly support the podcast by tipping us a coffee on Ko-Fi. That all goes to uh, production of the podcast, video and photo rights, those sort of things. Or you can just give us a, a positive re- review on podcast players. But, yeah, any last thoughts, Benji, before we sign out and start looking at Tokyo Parkour? Just a very extensive thank you to everybody that supported the podcast over the last 11 years, uh, months, <laughs> years. Okay, close enough. I think um, it's been great so far and... I think it's going to be a great Velta as well. It might feel like it's the end because the Tour de France is over, but we've got plenty of stuff on the menu for the coming months and it doesn't even stop at the end of the season. So yeah, I'm afraid you're stuck with us for a bit longer. So I can't wait to get to the Olympics and start talking about that. And we want your feedback too. Would you like for the Grand Tour recaps, live streams of them? And we'll live stream it on YouTube and then it gets to you quicker and it's a little bit less production uh, for us and then obviously goes out on podcast players you know quickly of course as well would that, is that something you'd be interested in straight after the stage so yeah we, we'd welcome your feedback are they too short too long do we you know we, we love hearing that sort of stuff but until wednesday ciao